The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Right? That is possibly the most beloved, most memorized passage of Scripture in the Bible. Charles Spurgeon wrote of this famous psalm. He's, this is what he said. He said, What the nightingale is among the birds, that is this divine ode among the psalms. For it's sung sweetly in the ear of many a mourner in his night of weeping, and has bidden him hope for a morning of joy, and I will venture to compare it also to the lark which sings as it mounts and mounts as it sings until it is out of sight, and even then it's not out of our hearing. And this passage has been memorized by countless children. It's been quoted at thousands of, of bedsides and read at, uh, at even more gravesides. And it's written by King David as an ode to the great God that led e Israel out of Egypt. And this poem, which exists for worship, it carries in its symbolism the story of a people who were led through the wilderness, through desolation, through fire and flood, and they were led to their home. And on that journey, God provided protection and guidance and nourishment, and it foreshadows the fulfillment of the promise to David of a Messiah who will come and lead us to our permanent home in heaven. The strength of the 23rd Psalm is in its simplicity. Even today, when most of us barely have any knowledge of shepherds or sheep, other than just the little bit we've learned here and there from reading or television, we, we can somehow still connect with this analogy that God watches over us. But in my experience, I, I've discovered that I read the 23rd Psalm and, and tend to focus on all the good things God does for me, which is not a bad thing. That's some of the comfort from the Psalm. But I want us to look at the 23rd Psalm over the next several weeks, and not just what God does for us, but what does this reveal to us about who God is? Because I think if we can grasp who God is from the 23rd Psalm, it's going to affect us and change us in a way that just reading about us is not going to. As we look at this, at this song of the goodness of God, I want, us, I want it to change us. I want it to draw us closer to God. Because in the end, that's the goal, right? I mean, David even ends the psalm by dismissing all the other material provisions and saying, I have no other goal but to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to dwell with the Lord himself. And so the first thing we learn in reading through this psalm, we learn who the shepherd is. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, you might say, well, that's easy. The Lord. The Lord's his shepherd. But, it, 
But who is the Lord in this text to truly understand just how powerful this statement that David was making when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. We need to really understand who the Lord is. These, these five simple words carry the weight of the totality of life for the entirety of a believer. In the, it's a summary of our existence and a summary of our purpose and our provision. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, Lord here is Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. And the first time God reveals his name in Scripture, it's actually found in Exodus 3.14. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. Here's what it says. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God replied to Moses and said, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Now, this is the first time this word, this, this word Yahweh is used. And in the, in the Hebrew, it's just four consonants, y, Y-H-W-H. And in Jewish life, this was a name that wasn't to be uttered. In fact, it was never even completely spelled in the Old Testament writing, even though it's written in the scriptures some 6,000 times. If you see capital Lord in your text, in your, in your modern translations, all caps Lord, most, the vast majority of the time, it's, it's replacing the word Yahweh in our English for Lord. And God said, I am. That's what he told Moses, I am Yahweh. And even when we read the Old Testament out loud, when the, when the Jews Jew in the, their day would read the Old Testament out loud, they would substitute, they wouldn't even read the word. They would replace it with Adonai or Elohim rather than, than what they would consider to be stoop so low and in an unworthy way use the name of God that he used for himself. And you, you could describe God's address to Moses in Exodus 3, I am who I am, as him ba- essentially saying, I am unnameable. I am. I don't know what, Moses, I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> I am. But by the time Jesus... By the time Jesus was on the scene, the name Yahweh was, wasn't even used by the average Jewish person in any setting. And they considered it so sacred that it was only used once a year in the temple on the Day of Atonement. In the presence of the Holy of Holies, the high priest would invoke the name and sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat to atone for sins. And the, the interesting thing is, if you try and study this word and read all the smart guys, all the Hebrew scholars, they have an extremely difficult time translating this into English. You have a difficult time even translating it in the Hebrew. Finding a precise meaning of Yahweh is impossible because you're trying to name God. It's the reason there's a thousand names for God listed in Scripture that are all titles. And even, but even in the struggle of these scholars, you learn a lot about who David is writing about when he says, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. Some scholars have considered that God may have possibly, in, in an effect, been kind of mocking Moses when he asked the question by implying... Uh, it could be translated, uh, my name, 
my name, it, it doesn't concern you, Moses. Don't worry about my name. Others have suggested that it, you could translate it, I am the self-existent one. Or I am one who is. I am the creator. Others have said that I, I am the one bringing everything into being. I'm the life giver, the giver of existence. He who brings to pass, the performer of his promises. He who causes to fall, rain, and lightning. But most would say the, the one who is. And the absolute unchangeable one, the, the existing, ever-living, self-consistent, unchangeable. And the reason it's so hard to pin down, because all of these are true of God. And they describe Yahweh, they describe the I Am. And when God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and answered him, he said, I will cause to be that which I cause to be. And David begins his song of the goodness of God and says, This Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. And this is no small statement. This is a declaration by the king of Israel that he is watched over by God, the one who will cause to be what will cause to be. And we also notice that David made this very personal he said, the Lord Yahweh, he is my shepherd. David writes this, and you cannot dismiss this or take it too lightly. David is claiming to have a personal relationship with Yahweh himself. This, this one who cannot be named. This Jehovah is not just a shepherd or even the shepherd. He says, he is my shepherd, my personal. David says, Yahweh is my personal shepherd. And this is a language of intimacy. And this is David knows God and God knows David. And this is the language of covenant. And that was the covenant that God made with David. In fact, turn to 2 Samuel um, chapter 7. Because I want us to see the connection between this, this personal intimate words that David's using here and the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel 7. This, this promise language that's found in Psalm 23, you're going to hear it also in this Second Samuel passage. David's been king for a while, and things have settled down, and he wants to build a permanent temple, but God tells the prophet Nathan to tell David that he's not going to be the one to build the temple. And so, in the timelines of things, I don't, I, you know, when did he write Psalm 23? I don't know. I would say it was definitely after this. 2 Samuel 7, but I don't know how, how close it was. But in verse 8 of 2 Samuel 7, he says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took from you the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people. And we know this is a reference to David who was a shepherd himself as a boy. Verse 9, I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. 
And moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now, does that sound familiar at all? Can you see kind of the correlation of this protection and what David's writing in Psalm 23? And then in verse 12, here's the promise. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his forever and I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will never depart him from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be sure, made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, God promised David and Israel in 2 Samuel 7 that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, this is messianic language that's happening here, that, that Christ is going to come from David. Now, we could jump to some other scriptures and get a little more specific because this is the only time this promise is given to David. But Jesus is going to come from the line of David and the tribe of Judah and is going to establish an eternal kingdom. And this Davidic covenant that we call it, the interesting thing here is it's unconditional. You see where he says he took his love away from Saul, but this is never going to happen with this line of David. He's never going to take his love away. And there's no conditions placed on this covenant. This isn't a, David, if you do this, I will do this. God says, no, this is what I'm going to do, David, and I'm going to do it through you. And the fulfillment of this covenant rests solely in the faithfulnesses of God's promise to David. And to those of us sitting here who are now part of the new covenant, the church, we see this promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. David was looking forward. We're looking backward, but it's the same promise. And David recognized that God was faithful to his promise, and he recognized that God wasn't just hanging up there trying to do stuff, that he was personally involved in the lives of his people. And he writes in the 23rd Psalm and says, God is my shepherd. And today, if you, like David, embrace the promise of salvation through Christ, you can make the same claim that David made and say, God, Yahweh, the one who can't be named, the one who will cause to be what will cause to be, he's my shepherd. Not the shepherd of the world, not the shepherd of some big random flock, your personal shepherd. Now, what does it mean that God's a shepherd, right? And, and I know there's been a lot of books written about it. We could get into the whole thing of shepherds and all that, but honestly, I don't, I don't know of how necessary it is. We may get into that a little more in some of the other sermons. But it is significant that David used the shepherd language here. David was a shepherd. He grew up a shepherd. But David himself was the shepherd of Israel. He was the king of Israel. And he uses shepherd language in this poem. And, and David, who started this life as a shepherd, as the youngest son, he drew the lowly task of tending sheep, which was not glamorous. It was the lowest of the jobs of the family. It was the one the youngest son took. That's why he was out there. And I don't know how much you know about shepherds. I don't know much. Did anybody grow up here tending sheep? Tend sheep now? That's exactly what I thought. There's some in Menifee if you want to check them out. You grew up tending sheep? We should talk. All right? <laughs> There's some sheep in Menifee out on the 215 if you ever want to check them out. So they're hard to see because they're the exact same color as the dirt. Um, <laughs> 
You just see the dirt moving. You're like, oh, sheep. I, I, don't, I don't know much about sheep. I know what I've read and watched on television. But David knew what he was saying when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And this psalm, he actually unpacks it in verses 2 through 4, and we're going to do that in a few weeks. But for today, let's just look at a couple of things about the shepherd. For one, David, the king of Israel, the shepherd of Israel, felt the weight of the responsibility of leading this entire kingdom to say, Yahweh is my shepherd. And when he makes this statement, here's what he's saying. He's declaring that I as king... I, the one who is the sovereign ruler of the people of God, God's chosen people. The one who has been told he is the protector of Israel says, no, let me tell you who the true protector is. It's God. God shepherds us. I know you look to me as king, as shepherd, but no, the Lord's my shepherd. And he's your shepherd. This humble acknowledgement of God as the real protector, the real provider, the real guide of Israel, it speaks to the heart of all those who claim that God is their shepherd. Because in our own lives, don't we kind of see ourselves as our own kings? I mean, king of my castle, right? Where did that statement come from? And David, in the most intimate relationship he could possibly think of says God is my shepherd God isn't some distant impersonal deliverer because shepherds live with the flock they know the sheep personally they know them intimately the shepherd's never far from the sheep and David said God is the sovereign ruler and creator he's the supreme shepherd he, he's the watchman the provider the protector God is my shepherd. And all this sovereignty that I think I've got in myself and all this power that I've got as king is nothing because it's God who's the shepherd of me. This psalm is interesting because it's written consistently from the perspective of the sheep, right? I mean, this is the sheep writing about the shepherd, because it expresses a trust and a confidence in God as shepherd that only comes from an awareness of the helplessness and the need of what it means to be a sheep. And in doing so, God, I mean, David establishes this, this basic rules of this covenant relationship, and not in terms of Lord and servant, which you see off and on through Scripture, but in a way, way more intimate language of, she, of shepherd and sheep. And sheep follow the shepherd for one reason. Do y'all know what it is? They trust the shepherd more than they trust themselves. They trust the shepherd more than they trust anyone else. Because the shepherd is there as protector and provider. And sheep know one thing about the shepherd. When they hear the shepherd's voice, only good things come. And finally, we see the summary of all that results and what it means for God to be shepherd when David finishes this and says, I shall not want. I lack nothing. I already have it. 
Now, there's an implied therefore in this verse. You could even say, because God is my shepherd, I already have everything I need. And I was probably, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old the first time I memorized Psalm 23 for Bible drill and the old hardback Bibles with a sword and shield on them. And, you know, we had to flip through. And for me, it wasn't about memorizing Scripture. It was about winning, right? Scripture was the thing I was, the tool to win. It was like, I just need to beat all my friends. That was my, that was my deal. And I, I remember thinking a couple of things as a kid. One, one of two things. Either something's wrong with this verse or something's wrong with me. Because Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, I had all kinds of things I wanted. Right? So what's, what's wrong with this? What's, what's going on here? I mean, it said it right there in the verse, I shall not want. You know, and I had to, you know, I wanted a bicycle and some better fireworks on 4th of July and, you know, and food and I like to eat as a kid and it's caught up with me now. But want. But honestly, want here isn't desire. And, and we, we know that from reading this. This is not an issue of desires. And it's why I think a lot of the modern translations have done a really good job of, of using clearer, more modern language than, than this is actually, this I shall not want is translated from the KJV in 1611 which is a long time ago, and if you've ever tried to read like a Puritan or a Shakespeare, you know it's not easy. you got to reverse words and replace letters and those kinds of things. That's kind of what's going on. But this issue of, of desire, the psalmist doesn't mean that when Yahweh shepherds us, he's going to give us everything we want. It's not what this is saying. Rather, those who trust in Yahweh as shepherd lack nothing, even when we think we do, even when we feel like we're lacking. The need has been supplied. We may not see it. We may not grasp it. We may not even take it. But I, I think when we read this a lot of times, we, we think too small. I don't know what's going on, babe. Is it, am I bumping it, something? When we, when we think about needs, when we think about our needs, I don't know if we're as self-aware as we think we are. I, if, I, if I said to you right now, list five or six prayer requests, y'all probably run out pretty quickly. And we, and we look at that as need, and, and a lot of times we, we have these needs that are not even legitimate needs, but for this concept of I shall not want, I lack nothing, to really hit home, to change us, to transform your thinking, to, re, to renovate your heart, you need to think bigger. You need to think like God which is, thank God we have text, scripture to do that. Because often, what we perceive as our greatest needs are probably not our greatest needs. And when we read Psalm 23, 
and we stop to consider it, we should, if we're being honest, question David and say, David, really, David, I shall not want? But the thing about the shepherd is, he knows better than we do. He knows us better than we know ourselves. The shepherd knows the needs of the sheep better than the sheep know the needs of the sheep. And the interesting thing is we, we start every day, whether, we, whether we're conscious of it or not, we start every day with a collection of desires. Um, they, they may be dreams, they may be fears, they may be needs, but these desires, even the ones we can't name, we wake up, we've got these desires, and when we struggle sometimes because we feel like God's ignored us or, or doesn't understand us. I have this need over here that God's not meeting this need, but it's, that's not the way the sheep shepherd relationship works. If we want our needs supplied, we listen to the shepherd to tell us what it is we need. Because we're not perfect sheep, all right? This sheep-shepherd analogy, when it comes to humans, it's not a perfect analogy. It's really good, but it's not perfect because we're not perfect sheep. We still feel like we need to go our own way, that we know better than the shepherd. I got this figured out, shepherd. I know everybody's eating grass over here, but... That grass over there looks, well, it's greener. Look at it. And, w- and what happens is we get out of step with God the shepherd when we're, when we're no longer listening to his voice. And we, we misunderstand what our own needs are. And it spins us out of control. And, 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 and because God knows our needs better than we do, and he's given us his word, and he's given us a prayer to align our desires with his desires and, and that God's dreams for us will become our dreams for ourselves. And that's kind of the struggle in the Christian life through sanctification. It's what causes us to have these moments of clarity that oftentimes come through tragedy and trials. We just have to listen to the voice of the shepherd. And C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity uses an analogy of this. He says, You wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning is, is, it consists of just shoving those to the back and listening to the other voice, taking the point of view, letting the other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing, and so on and so on and so on all day. And that other voice, the one we're struggling to listen to, that's the voice of the shepherd. And in life, we run into needs, and we don't even know how to get these needs met, these deep desires for things like acceptance and peace and happiness that get beyond the physical, and they get to deep-seated needs that we have that we struggle to even verbalize. And people spend countless hours and thousands of dollars pursuing these deep needs through multiple things like counseling or drugs or materialism. And it's not even the need. They're not even really chasing their need. And when, when David writes and says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
I lack nothing. He's telling us that the needs that God sees in us that we actually need have already been provided for us. And you you may face something like the need to be accepted. You may not even realize that deep down it's affecting everything in your life. But if you're a Christian, the, the great thing about Christianity is it says Christ has accepted you through his atoning work. And he calls us, that's what Romans 15 talks about, he calls us to accept one another. That's what church life is about. Or you may have this desire for comfort that affects generosity and relationships and it even causes you to make selfish decisions. But Christ didn't call us to comfort. He called us to sacrifice and then rest in him. Or you may have a fear of losing everything. But Christ told us he would supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. Every need, every desire, every fear, even those we can't articulate, have been met if God is your shepherd. Because when he's our shepherd, when we're truly his sheep, we trust in him as provider. It's his voice we listen to. It's his voice that guides us through life. And because he's our shepherd, we don't rely on ourselves We rely on him, and the moment we rely on ourselves, we stop listening to the voice of God, and we're going to get frustrated and assume God's not meeting our needs, and he's been meeting them the whole time. We're just not listening. The one who will cause to be what will be the great I am is your shepherd. Listen to his voice. When we find ourselves... When we're listening to the shepherd, we find ourselves so in love with the shepherd, it's no longer about our desires, but rather it's finding that we do not desire more than what the Lord, our shepherd, desires for us. And and to guarantee that we could all become sheep, he sent Christ, his son, the good shepherd, the great I am. In fact, it's interesting for Christ to use the I am language about himself. He could not have made a stronger declaration of who he said he was when he said, I am God in the flesh, than in places like the Garden of Gethsemane when the soldiers come to Jesus. And, they, and he says, who are you looking for? They said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said... I am he. And what happened? They fell back from the power of Christ saying, hey, remember Exodus 3.14? That's me. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 8.56, they were challenging Jesus and said, you talk about Moses like you know him. You're not even 50 years old. How do you know Moses? Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And what did they do? They picked up stones. Said, that is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. And to them it was blasphemy. Because they did not know that Jesus was the I am. In John 6, he said, I am the bread of life. John 8, I am the light of the world. John 15, I am the true vine. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. 
But read John 10 this morning. I want you to turn back to John 10. I want us to look at something there. John 10, verse 14. He says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Where have we heard that? I know my own and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Do you all know who the ones that are not in the fold are? That's us that are believers. That's Christians now. Bringing them into the fold to be one flock with one shepherd. And he says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this is what Jesus did. He laid down his life for those whom the Father has given him. Those who hear his voice. Because in John 10, 27, you can look at it really quickly. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And what does he do for those sheep? He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is the assurance of Psalm 23 fulfilled in Christ. You see it in John 10. And can you truly say today you're following the good shepherd? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. That's the question that's posed to all of us. Are we following the shepherd? Sometimes even those of us that are as true sheep, true followers of Christ, find ourselves straying from the flock. And as, as a believer, you need to ask yourself, are you heeding the voice of God? Are you heeding the voice of the shepherd, obeying his word, praying in order to align your desires with his desires? Or are you wandering? Are you a wandering sheep? Have you allowed life to get so loud that it even drowns out the voice of the shepherd? You find yourself wandering outside the flock, chasing people, chasing pleasures, and chasing things that you know are never going to satisfy. And all the while, it's like, yeah, I hear the shepherd over here, but man, I just don't know if I'm ready to listen yet. I'm telling you, if you're there, you need to find a way in humility and repentance to get back inside the fence. Take comfort in the flock of God's people. Or you might be here and you're not one of God's sheep, and the entire concept of even becoming a sheep sounds like the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard in your life. Who wants to be a sheep? I mean, isn't that the accusation that's made against Christians already by the world? Ah, they're just a bunch of sheep. It's like the greatest thing you could ever say about a Christian, and they're taking it as an insult. Just if you hear that, go, thank you, thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I, I am a sheep. And I hope I can say that in everything it means. Charles Spurgeon wrote, probably the best commentary on the Psalms that was ever written. This is what he said about Psalm 23. He said, before you can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd, you must feel yourself to be a sheep by nature. For you cannot know that God is your shepherd unless you feel in yourself that you have the nature of a sheep. 
You must relate to a sheep in its foolishness, its dependency, and the warped nature of its will. Sheep are foolish, dependent, and warped in their nature. Follow me. And the reality is, is that is what happens at salvation because it's you humble yourself, you willingly humble yourself to see your need of God, to set aside your will and your desires for what God desires for you as a good shepherd. And maybe you're not a follower of Christ, the good shepherd today. Humble yourself like a sheep to your shepherd. Acknowledge your need for God. And you, you can't do this on your own. But you don't have to if the shepherd's calling you. Repent of your sins and trust him. Surrender to him like a sheep does to a shepherd. And he will come and he'll call you by name and declare you his sheep and get to guide and lead and protect you. And God the Father will bring you a peace like nothing else in the world will ever provide. And you can say, just like David, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And do that today. Church, stand. let's stand together. And Pat, you and Bryn and Alicia, come and...